Hello and welcome to Black Eye the Podcast, the podcast where I share my perspective on life through my eyes. Hello and welcome to episode nine. Today we're going to be talking about race and this episode is called Introduction to Race. So this episode is the brainchild of a, a couple of days of thinking and and um, uh, reflecting, and I wanted to I wanted to do it. I wanted to kind of move into the racial territory, um, but I wanted to do it in a way that I guess was still anecdotal and kind of me sharing my current experiences and previous experiences with race and how I kind of have come to be where I stand today, and just talk about my journey with my own racial identity as a kind of mini um, circuit breaker into some of the more um, heavy hitting and more focused targeted topics that I plan to do in the coming weeks around race. Um, We've had a few, we've had now, this is episode nine, so we've had, uh, I think we've had, yes, we've had eight episodes before and they've all kind of been very topics that have been important to me and kind of, I guess, I think important in terms of sharing my perspective as uh, a man or as a human or as a 27 year old or whatever but I wanted to I wanted to now start moving in towards more race specific topics I want to use this podcast to kind of talk about topics that people don't really get to talk about or hear about or focus on I think um, I was thinking recently uh, this week you know since Black Lives Matter happened or you know the death of George Floyd and um, the series, series of other merciless killings by American police and that kind of uprising that we had during COVID, I do feel like there is less of a um, less discourse around race and allyship and what we can do and uh, the dissemination of information and all those kind of things. I think which happens naturally with any kind of crisis or major life event. There is a big moment where people uh, are focused and then there's only so long you can maintain that kind of focus on something and it kind of dwindles and wanes. So I think it's it's interesting to see now as we come to the end of 2022 how different it was or how different I see it as compared to, I think maybe like 2020, 2021 and how we were discussing things at those times. But I wanted to talk today, I guess, about my personal journey with race and my introduction to race. And so... I think I can break it into, th- I have broken it into three sections. So, okay. And so I've broken the three sections up into, and they're actually technically chronological, but I've broken up my journey with race um, into three sections. And so the first is realization. The second is isolation or, or alienation. You can use those two to kind of summarize that section, the second section. And the third is acceptance. And so, I will run through the three sections and what they mean to me and how I kind of came to term them as I have and how I have kind of worked my way through them and how how that process happened. So if we start with section one, of course, we start with um, realization. And I chose that word and it really is, I think, the, the most apt word because I, for me, race is something that I realized I carried at a certain age. And I, I've told the story before in a previous, on um on restless minds before but I'm sure my friends probably have heard the story but I do like to tell it because I think it's a very good example of um the state of human culture and how um kids are not born with um 
distinct dislikes for other races, but actually they're kind of things that trickle down from their parents and how they're socialized and what they overhear at home and so on and so forth. And so um, for me, the realization was in year three in primary school and one of the guys in the class had gone on holiday. He'd gone to Egypt uh, for a few, for a week or two. And back in those days, you know, you could take as many days of holidays as you wanted back then. I mean, I remember being off school for like a week or two at a time and kids would go like on holiday with their family for like three weeks. And like, there was no kind of like <laughs> rules around it. You just went and came back and that was it. And now I, me- I remember the, like, I remember being younger and when they started changing things and you had to get permission. If you took certain days out of school, then you would get like, in trouble and one of the schools my brother or sister went to if you took days out the school would charge you for being on holiday during the, the school term uh and then some schools just said that you weren't allowed to be on holiday and if they knew you were they would report you to some kind of thing so obviously people parents just lied and said their kids were sick um and we just go on holiday anyway so but anyway um one of the kids in my class had been on holiday to egypt and he came back and as was customary back in back in those days when you were in um primary school he came back with gifts for everyone in the class so he came back with gifts of Egypt, from Egypt he had these little pyramids and they were handed out and then as they were going around I didn't get one and I think I I said to him because he sat kind of near me I said hey Richard I didn't get one like you know what's going on I think the parents had, had named and, and numbered you know who should get what and yeah, he was like, yeah, no, sorry. My parents told me that you can't get one because you're black. And I remember just being like, oh, okay. And then just sitting in class and just being confused, like what? Then I was looking around Then I kind of, I was like, right, okay. Like I'm black as in my skin is black as in I'm brown. But that was the first time I'd ever been told that by someone else. And obviously I knew the color of my skin as a kid. And I had, you know, looked in mirrors before and understood that my parents were different colors to my friend's parents and whatever. But I never really understood that it was like a term that could be used against me in that way and kind of used as ammunition towards me. And so after a few minutes, I started to feel really overwhelmed and really sad because I was like, wait, hold on. Like, okay, I I accept now that I am black. And I, this is what I'm saying, I guess, is in terms of realization, I hadn't really realized that I was black in that sense or that like that that was something that could differentiate me so that I was going through that kind of process of realizing that and accepting that and whatever and processing that then also having to whilst realizing that go through understanding that it was something that was negative or was seen as negative and that was being used against me as a reason I didn't deserve to have a gift and was isolating me from the rest of the class and I think I just started crying basically and my teacher, who should have actually noticed at the point of handing stuff out, I didn't get one and asked what was going on and intervened. But anyway, took me outside and said, you know, what? why are you crying? What's going on? And so I said, well, you know, um, I, as you probably saw, I didn't get one of those gifts um, that's been, that are being handed out. Um, and um, I, I asked Richard why, and he said it's because I'm black. And she was like, wait, what? And I was like, well, yeah, sorry. I missed that. That's what, you know, that's what he said. And she was like visibly outraged and very annoyed. And so she left me outside the classroom and went to, you know, strutted off to the headmaster's room uh, and came back. And then I had to tell him what I said. And then it became a whole thing. And the guy was in trouble and got taken out of class. And um, 
it was just a whole thing. Um, and then I think he had to issue an apology, but then he was like, he was like, you know, my parents said that and that's what my parents told me. So yeah, that's what I said to him kind of thing. And yeah, it was just such a, it was a, it was a rude awakening age, whatever age you are in year three, like maybe, um, guess like seven or eight maybe, um, to become aware of one's race and one's color and how that kind of sits in society and what that means and like societal view of your skin color and then have to come back into school the next day and sit next to or in or close to that kid and just carry on playing but suddenly i became i realized i became so aware that i was that i was different to everyone else and i was the kind of like standout and that kind of that will become like a, a point or a thread throughout the different stages I talk about in the rest of this episode, but just also generally in life, those moments where you suddenly become aware that you're the other, and I still get this at work sometimes when I'm in a meeting and or I'm, I'm in the auditorium or whatever, and there's an event, and I'm like, oh, I'm the only black person here, or on the train, you know, when it's if it's late and there are some drunk rowdy people, um, and I just think, oh, like I'm the only black person here. I hope they're they're not racist and they're gonna get drunk and beat me up. Or you know, walking down the street sometimes, you know, you just become aware or conscious that you're the only person of color in in a certain scenario. Um, Luckily for me, there was another girl in my in my class who was black, Um, and so it wasn't like I was the only person of color in 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 the class. But it still was, you know, it was a thing. and it was, I remember being, not sad, I remember just being like, I guess annoyed that it was like something that was gonna, that, that had happened and that I had to then go and, you know, tell the headmaster that everyone was talking about. It. I hated being like the center of an event, but at the same time I knew I had done the right thing. And I knew I, I knew, I knew it wasn't right. And this is the point I was saying at the start is that I don't think kids are born with any kind of internal dislike towards other races. Like the kid obviously said his parents had told him that. Um, and told him that's why I didn't get one. Um, and I wasn't even aware that I was black in that sense, right? So it wasn't like I was came out of the womb and was like, oh my god, I'm black, and therefore like that makes me different. And neither was he, you know, born like I don't like I don't like people of color. That's just kind of what he'd heard and been taught. And so I think it was it's it was sad at that age to kind of have to deal with that and become and become like I wouldn't say a victim but experience some kind of like racial you know racial negative racial experience um it wasn't it wasn't the best and I kind of like got over it and went about my life but that was the first stage I coined as like my realization kind of period for race and then moving on to section number two so isolation slash alienation so this was this I'd say was probably the better part of my um, secondary school experience. So from year seven, uh, probably till about year 10, 11. Well, actually, well, actually I say that, but then, no, yeah, yeah, probably till about year 11. And I'll, I'll clarify why I was kind of, I'm going to later. But my secondary school was not the most <laughs> racially, um, sensitive inclusive uh, or diverse place and so i grew up around a lot of kids who and again i pre i preface prefix this or preface 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 whatever you say um i'll caveat at this point and just say that obviously 
I'm not sitting here saying all these people were evil or bad people. They probably just were ignorant or grew up around certain things or were taught things by their parents, whatever. But still, this is this is my experience, and I'm going to talk about how I experienced things and how I felt and you know my kind of journey of that. And so there were not a lot of kids of color, people of color in the school. There were not a lot of black people either. Um, and I could actually count all the black kids in the in the school on I think at a certain point on one or two hands. So yeah, that kind of is your answer. But um, it, it really was a thing, I think for me at least at school, in secondary school, my race was something that actually differentiated me and separated me and, and isolated me from other people because at that age when a kid was like, they called you the N word or whatever, or you know, I was called coon in school. And I was, I was, I was called do a range of like derogatory, like very old, like harsh, um, racial terms that kids weren't just like I hadn't heard these words. I get called them and have to Google them and be like, oh god, that's what it means, or wog, whatever. Like words that were really old age, harsh English words that definitely had been heard from parents or family. Like you didn't learn that from like just hanging out with your age mates because I'd never heard those words before. But, you know, when you get called things like that and someone is maybe bigger than you or actually seems to genuinely not like you as a person and also like then adds the race thing to it, it you don't, I didn't really like feel like I wanted to, I guess, deal with that or kind of be around that. So I kind of just would mark those people and avoid them. And so... It wasn't like I didn't have friends, but there were certain people that I just knew, like, hey, like, that's someone that you should be aware of or someone that's been a bit inappropriate. And our school actually kind of split itself into groups. So we had, uh, you know, there's a group called the Asians. It was all the people who were, like, of Asian descent were in a certain group together. Um, And then the black people all kind of, like, knew each other and would hang out. And then then there were the other groups, which are majority white. And that just kind of, that was just how school was. And I look back at it now, but like everyone called the Asian group, the Asians, that's just what was said because they had kept to themselves and formed a group where they could kind of feel safe. And I remember there were certain things that happened where people would just take any kind of news event to do with like Islam and just use it as an excuse to hate towards that group. And so there was always, there were always some very dodgy things happening around race, but I, I remember just spending a lot of time not really wanting to be around certain people and on the train there were people you would avoid and there were older kids that would just pick on you and it was always like the trend was that they were picking on black people and it kind of was just like all the black people knew the racist people knew the kids that weren't racist also knew and saw but no one ever said anything and no one ever intervened no one ever did anything and that was kind of just the way um the way it was um and so there was a kind of period of just like being othered um and people and like again i think i was friends with some of these people these people were my friends and every now and then they would just pull out the n-word for no reason and kind of it was like you know if you if you stood up about against it and raised an issue with it or said that was wrong or said i didn't like that they would just call you it again and again and again and repeat. I'm sorry, I'm laughing, but they would call you repeatedly to the point where it's kind of like you knew there was nothing you could do. You had no power, and I wasn't going to go to the teacher and say anything because I, I I just didn't really, I didn't really believe that anything was going to happen because I I'd seen people report these things or like 
these things would be said in class sometimes and the teachers would kind of just turn a blind eye. So it was kind of like, you knew you were kind of on your own, had to figure it out yourself, if that makes sense. Um, and so you couldn't really, there's nothing you could say to make them stop. Um, and then they say, oh, well, you can't take a joke. Or like, why are you getting so angry? Why are you taking it so seriously? And so no one, I never wanted to be the kid that was like, um, wasn't the cool kid, wasn't down with everyone, wasn't fun and wasn't like just a laugh to be around. So I would always try and like avoid being that person. But then actually I kind of, I was, you know, isolated from certain people. And then it switched to kind of like alienation when I started speaking out against things. And I remember, I, I, I think it was, I think it was probably in around year 10 or 11, I started like really just, I just had enough. And so I would actually speak back to the people that had been kind of berating me for years. And I would just turn around and say, you can't go around talking to people like that, like enough is enough. And I would fight back and I would call them out for their flaws. And, you know, if it was like their personal things they had issues with, or if they had, you know, just as a kid, you fight with words. So I kind of like, and I was, I was, you know, I was quick with my tongue and I had a good wit and I was smart and I could like kind of rebuttal things pretty quickly. And I was, I was pretty confident in, at that stage. And so I was able to go toe to toe with people and often outsmart a lot of people just like through how harsh I could be with my words. And so I'm not saying that's like a great trait, but it was the way I learned to defend myself. I was never a fighter. I never got into fights. I mean, one or two things were like they escalated because I was again dealing with kids, the people that are racist, but I wasn't like around like throwing fists. It was like, you know, maybe chasing people or getting like pushed around, but, um, and then I remember like people would also be saying racist things online on Twitter or they would make WhatsApp groups and put you in and send monkeys and make jokes and whatever. And so that became, that became a thing that I was now alienated because I was known as the angry black kid. And that was literally what people called me. Like Timmy's always on Twitter, like talking about race and saying, we can't do that. I'm saying, I can't say that. And um, I'd be I'd be in on Facebook having these debates saying like what like I remember this one time this guy put um, I hate black people why are they so loud and I remember this was on Facebook and I replied saying you acting like black people are the only people that can be loud and even if they are loud and the people like let's say for argument's sake they are why does that justify you hating a whole race that's generalization and it's like inappropriate like mischaracterization of a whole group of people based on what you might have seen by some black kids at school being loud at lunchtime that you didn't like and now you're generalizing the whole race but it seems to me that you're looking for an excuse or justification to dislike this whole race and this is your in but actually it seems like you have a deeper rooted issue with people of color and i was then like met with an influx of kids from the school and his friends commenting saying well, you know, like, you're just an N-word, and blah, 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 and, like, you're this, and, like, well, well, I can say that, like, that's the truth, like, here you are, this is my point, you're in the comments getting angry, like, you're always angry, like, black people, they're aggressive, and it became this whole thing, and I had so many of of these debates where I knew I was being rational, I knew I was saying things that made sense, I knew I was being logical, but everyone, it was just, at that time, it was so standard for race to just not be a thing that people cared about intervening in, and I know we talk now about allies and blah, 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 whatever, but at the time, that wasn't a thing, you just were on your own. You just had to deal with it and you kinda of, kinda of had to just fight your battles, fight your 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 wars and fight things that you were never gonna win. Fight losing battles basically is what I was, tr- I was trying to say. And just keep going at it and hope that eventually one day someone might kind of like jump in and don't get me wrong, sometimes people did say, Hey, like I think you're being out of order to the person or whatever, or I disagree or like that's racist, but that people just would let it happen. And so I then became, as I said, like the angry black kid. Um 
and I was in the school, I, I, I started becoming like someone that would like intervene or challenge people and say that's wrong or like question things. And I lost quite a few friends and kind of became known as this kind of like guy who was like, like I don't want to say the Crimson Channel, like the Batman of race, but I, I definitely was like trying my best to like stand up for myself and like to no avail. And, you know, there were a few other people who were black as well that were doing the same. Um, but, um, and then sixth form ended and I went to university and, um, the, I guess the pinnacle, the apex of the alienation was, um, at a certain point in my, I think it was my second year of uni, some of these kids from school around the Christmas period had, um, been to the pub and they've been drinking, obviously. And to this day, um, it's so funny to talk about this because it's just, it's it's very surreal talking about it because I always kind of, I close my eyes and I see the, the video and it just makes me feel a bit on edge. But to this day, I, I will never understand and no one could ever tell me. And I, I ask so many people why that's happened and no one has an answer, but they all began to chart my name and say something to the effect of Timmy Areo's monkey or whatever. And there were, there were about 12 to 15 of these white these white male guys who went to my school. And bearing in mind, like, this is my second year of uni, so we'd left school, like, two years ago, and I hadn't seen a lot of them in a while. And they were trying to my name at this pub in public and making monkey noises. And a series of other videos and things and clips and messages from that day and their time at the pub kind of emerged in the future or like emerged following me seeing this video that kind of showed you they were kind of on a race rampage and the people in that group let me just make be clear that i had been speaking to like in the days or weeks before that i was good friends with that i'd gone to visit a uni that i'd had like long-term friendships with that were sat at that table maybe not necessarily chanting but they were sat there watching this happen and allowing it to happen and laughing and not saying anything and so i saw the video and that is probably one of the biggest turning points of my life where i realized this is actually unacceptable. And so I, I told my university, um, and they said, you know, well, we, you can go to the police. And I was, it was third, it was second year exam season, sorry. I was just about to start revising for exams. And I, so I, I turned that down. That's one of my big regrets, actually, like not just pursuing that, because I really wish I had actually fought my hardest to ensure those people got what they deserved and there was justice. And my uni did contact their unis. Of course, nothing happened. They were allowed to carry on. And I still bump into these people in the pub and they act like nothing's happened. They ask me why I tried to ruin their lives and whatever. And the story kind of got into the press and became this whole thing. And there was, I did interviews and there was news and whatever and fine. And the people that were in that video turn around and, and I, you know, you, people know them. And they tell me they've seen them and that's what they said. It's kind of like, he tried to ruin my life and my career. Like he's so selfish. Like, I'm not racist. I'm blah, blah, blah. But this is the thing around this time. They were also like, they were making WhatsApp group chats and putting me and my black friends in there and making racial comments and putting pictures of Pokemon and calling us Pokemon and like calling us like bits of shit and whatever and sending pictures of apes. And just like, there was a lot of background and what just was so infuriating to me was acting like this was an isolated moment where, where we just decided to just, they'd done one thing wrong and we decided to just snap and like try and seek, you know, legal action or protection or whatever. There, were, there was years of abuse. Like, like I can honestly sit here and tell millions of stories. But that was the point where I went from being like, I'm alienated to like, actually, I'm going to do my best to stand up. And this is when we move into section three, acceptance. And accept that I'm black and be so forward-leaning to the fact that I'm black that actually it becomes a part of my personality that, I'm, that I own and I'm proud of. 
And so I kind of then went on this new journey of going from being alienated to not alienating myself but making myself stand out so I could talk about these issues. And so I started doing a lot of things on like at that time on Facebook, talking about race and my experience. I did um, some radio interviews, I did press, I did articles I wrote. I, you know, I did as much as I could. I joined um, things at university. I joined Mandem, which is a, uh, an initiative that my one of my good friends uh, started at, at Bristol, and so I um, and I just I was trying so hard to get out and tell my story and speak my truth, and um, it just was. I think after years and years of having to kind of be at the, so I guess suffer at the brunt or be at the kind of suffer at the hands of the people who use race against me, I decided that I wanted to take ownership of that and actually be driving the way race was present in my life and so rather than being a victim of it or whatever I wanted to be you know um an advocate for race and so I started doing and I still do now at work I'm on the firm white black network and I I volunteer with kids of color and I, I try and do as much as I can to kind of talk about my experience and how it affected me and I'm like not to sit here and be all it's a Monday, so I don't want to be negative, but or not even negative, just don't want to bring don't want to be um, too heavy, but you know, to get to that stage of acceptance, you know, I did a lot of therapy and I when those videos came out, I was severely severely, severely depressed at uni because it was very hard, you know, to see your face on Sky News or BBC News and the first time you've kind of had that kind of exposure was as it was the victim story and he this happened to him and he's being bullied and these guys did whatever. And on top of that, um, nothing happened as I said all these guys they still walk around some of them are doctors some of them are lawyers some of them went to you know Cambridge like top level universities and this this is the point I think is that you never know who these people are right like these people could be your managers they could be your your sister's boyfriend's dad they could be your taxi driver they could be a doctor who you think they're just normal people, but actually back in the day and, you know, even maybe now still have these beliefs where they've had to suppress them, not because they've learned they're wrong or they've changed opinion, but because they've decided that actually um, they have to conform to society. And I don't know, I find that pretty scary. Um, and I always have that these people are still walking around and how many, how many other kind of people like this are walking around and just have been able to get away with just doing whatever they like and being racist and there's no repercussions and I think things are changing and you know following on from when we when I was like doing that kind of round of raising awareness of that story and doing press interviews and stuff um after that loads of people came out and there were loads of other university scandals then I think I remember Nottingham was one of them where a girl had had I might have got the university wrong but I remember the story had was that first review in, the, in halls and a group of white guys were changing her throwing her food away and replacing them with bananas and writing you're a monkey on the fridge and she took pictures put it online it went viral the and then the uni actually i think expelled those kids and then from that there were a series of other um university experiences to do with race from black people that were raised and also people of color generally that kind of came to show exactly what people were experiencing not just at uni but also throughout their lives and on a day-to-day -day basis and I think there was a lot of conversation around that. And I remember at the time at uni, like having so many conversations with friends, people generally just saying, I had no idea like what it was like to see black or what you've experienced at uni whilst you were at uni and we were hanging out. I had no idea this was happening to you at home or what it was like for you going to school in Essex and blah, blah, blah. And so it was actually 
that was a moment I really felt like there was a lot of change and a shift in focus and people were really um really focused on having that conversation and then as I said at the start of course George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement was a, a much bigger beast and that kind of prompted much wider conversation around the matter but that is my um that was my that's my journey with race um an introduction to race from my perspective and those three sections again just in case you forgot so we had realization isolation slash alienation and acceptance and it's still something i'm going through now and working on and figuring out figuring out how that plays into you know how I want to raise my kids and my future and like my connection to Nigeria and how much I actually know about that culture and going back and learning about that and you know my family and like just what it means to me at this age as a man growing up and going through that journey to, to be black and how I want to navigate that but um yeah that is that that's that's today's little um intro to race and I think we, I have I have some more interesting conversations and topics coming up that will del- I guess delve into more specific topics and address things like being anti-racist and allyship and um i guess how race was constructed and what it really is and how it's actually just a social con- social construct and things like that, that i think are um people here and i guess maybe see on on social media but maybe don't actually have time to talk about or understand and discuss so i will be um spreading those out as well amongst other episodes but yeah that's my um intro to race and so today timmy's takes i just what i really wanted to just I was reading about this this morning and I just find it um, so shocking. Um, Sorry, I'm just like (laughs) looking at a picture of it. Balenciaga this week, if you haven't seen, there's been a huge scandal around Balenciaga. They released a campaign for their spring summer um, photo shoot and they have made a massive mistake i don't know who did this and who okayed this and whatever's going on but someone's gonna lose their job on there i mean there's i'm seeing legal actions going on as well but essentially they had released a, a picture for their campaign um of there were two separate pictures of a young child i don't even know the age but i want to say like honestly not older than six or seven um holding a bear that has what looks like bondage um, wear or S and M wear, um, and then that kind of freaked people out. So people started decided to start looking at, you know, I guess what is going on in this picture on this the Balenciaga website. And if you zoom in, so that the whole point was that right, okay, this child's been sexualized by you know this is like bondage S and M wear. This child's holding a teddy bear and they're wearing these like Balenciaga like kids wear and the Balenciaga shoes and there's a whole array of things in front of the child. And then if you zoom in to the picture and one of the pictures you can see there's like papers or like documents as if they're like a mini adult working. And when you zoom into the documents, the documents relate to a um, court case in America that was to do with child pornography. So now you have a child carrying a bear that looks like it's wearing S&M related like leather clothing or whatever bondage, like um, very skimpy outfit. And then you have purposely printed and placed so that you can see if you zoom in documents relating to child pornography. And that kind of just in itself pinpoints the whole kind of like, so there is a kind of overt kind of like, can we get away with it? Sexualization of children. And this is the whole thing. I think 
the mass, I just, I, every day I think about the mass media and the powers that be, I think there's a huge overhaul need. I was watching yesterday the documentary about Glenn Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein and how all these senior huge figures at these corporations and in government were interconnected and aware and knew what was going on, but I oh, didn't say anything and we weren't sure. And even this, it's like the fact that Blizzard was so bold to release this campaign, I don't think they thought it was going to go as bad as it did or because it's going to be as recognised as, or, or scandalous as it, as it was. Now they say they're seeking um, damages against the the ad company that made the ad for them. But again, so yeah, Balenciaga receiving 25 million pounds in damages from the production company behind the ad campaign that made the luxury photos. Now, I was reading an article today that basically says that in itself is completely a, um, is completely finger pointing and blame avoiding because, you know, the blame stops the Balenciaga like with a shoot like this for, you know, the next season of clothing, or whatever, that goes on the main website. There are so many parties involved and the creative director has to approve, the photographer has to approve, set stylist, like production, like it would have gone through so many senior levels levels of okay and the head of creative direction would have had to sign off themselves the final thing going out. So it's like, I don't really get how (laughs) they can come out and be like, we're going to sue the production company because it it just seems like there's just a desperate attempt to deny and the, the photographer who shot the picture said i had no control i just was told to light the photo and take a photo of my usual style that's what they wanted but i mean clearly they knew what they were doing and like this is not just like a random freak accident oh we had some documents about child a porn case on the set and it was just there and then we had the child holding the bear like that was all purposely um purposely done and so i just i find it really concerning and very scary uh i'm not i wouldn't say that i'm shocked i just think it's horrific that it's so blatant now like i think these brands and these companies are becoming so confident in their ability to do whatever and these people in control just feel like they can kind of push the boundary and it can kind of be seen as oh contemporary and i just it makes you question how many other things like this have happened that maybe slipped through the net that we haven't noticed, maybe in Balenciaga or other companies where these little Easter eggs have been put there to be like, well, we, this is what we're about. Because if you think about it, to have that that idea and think that it's acceptable or cool or artistic means that you are someone that is in that realm or, or you know, delves into that kind of space or has a perception about child pornography or sexualization of children that is a bit skewed because you think it might be a bit something that's like not black and white where the lines can be blurred. That's a problem if heads of creative direction at, at these huge fashion houses and photographers and publicists and marketing and whatever, all these people are okay with this going out and no one once said, we can't put this out because this is inappropriate. It just shows you the kind of powers that be in that are behind all of this stuff. And so I'm concerned and I'm scared, not going to lie. But, you know, um, I just wanted to talk about because I just remember reading it and thinking like, what is going on? So Kim Kardashian says, come around and said she hasn't, she didn't speak for four days because she was wanted to give her the company a chance to explain to her what's happening. You know, as a mother of four, she was horrified and concerned and wanted to speak directly to the company and understand what's going on, but she expects that they, you know, she hopes they can, like, take the appropriate steps to understand what happened and take ownership. And she said in terms of her own involvement with the company going forward, that's still being discussed and she's waiting for them to, waiting to see what steps they're going to take to focus on preventing child sexualization and improving the... um or bettering the the safety of children and avoidance of um, sexualization and kidnapping. So she's obviously, I think, suggesting that she expects them to donate to charity or kind of set up some kind of fund or, like, commitment to kind of help 
prevent those things showing that they're actually against that but god it's just like this shouldn't be happening it shouldn't be a thing where oops we made an ad about sexualizing children sorry we want to sue the other company like we'll make, set up a, a commitment to provide like x percent of our revenue from this kind of child sales to child protection agencies like no you should just be against child like misbehavior generally it should just be blanket it should, this shouldn't have happened so very bizarre very very weird um very odd from Lindsay but yeah that's Timmy's takes for this week okay that is it for this week's episode guys thank you so much for listening I hope you um enjoyed listening and hearing about my personal journey with race and I hope you're looking forward to more episodes about race and race related topics but on that note I will end and I will see you guys on next week's episode thank you